see you, girl. <laughs> uh, let's see. Hopefully, audio is working. It takes me a minute to get all my uh, all my equipment set up. So yeah, sorry. So hey guys, welcome to Lifting with Lauren, episode five. Let me adjust this uh, light here. Yeah, I actually turned the lights on for once. <laughs> Save electricity. Um, so I took a poll in my Instagram stories uh, to see what I was going to be talking about today, and the vote was on science of glute training. So um, I'll give one little one little caveat here. Um, even though I have spent a lot of time uh, studying and reading about glutes and training them on my own, sometimes my anatomy words get a little screwed up. So if I mess up the words, don't get mad at me, okay? I'm just, you know, doing the best I can here. All right, I'm good. Um, okay, so let's see here. I'm going to start with this. Uh, so I first got introduced to the idea of specifically training the glutes and probably like, what year was that? 20... 14. Um, I had already been into like bodybuilding type stuff. So like I knew how to do it for the rest of the body um, But I wasn't as certain when it comes to glutes and um, I think The first time I ever saw the hip thrust I actually saw Dana Lynn Bailey doing it and I was like what the heck is that? So I tried that which was like extremely hard. I think the first time I did a hip thrust I piled on like 85 or 95 pounds which for someone who's never done it before could actually be a lot being a small female um, uh, and then after, after that, I think the first, hmm, oh, the first article I ever saw on glute training, I was probably on like bodybuilding.com or I was on Facebook because back then Facebook was still sharing, um, the, uh, posts of like fitness people, um, more. So you were able to actually read their blogs and stuff. Cause now it, the algorithm is totally screwed up and you can't do that. Um, but back then you were still able to read everybody's stuff and I saw an article that was, I think was on Dr. Brett, he wasn't Dr. Brett then, but uh, Brett Contreras' blog. It was actually written by someone else. So another person had found out, uh, had discovered hip thrust, I guess, and she was doing it with a plate at home and she kind of broke down some of the stuff that she saw about hip thrusting. Well, then I discovered Dr. Brett Contreras and if you know anything about him, um, he is considered the glute guy. So a lot of what I know about glutes has been from heavily following his content for a number of years. Um, he's put a lot of time and energy into obviously training glutes, training his um, clients that way, and then also doing EMG research on a lot of things and inventing um, a lot of exercises. There's a bunch of exercises that I do now with my clients that and, and myself that I actually got from him. Side note, I don't have to add this in, but it's my podcast, so I'm going to say whatever the heck I want. I don't follow him as closely anymore for personal and ethical reasons, <laughs> but I still do value a lot of other stuff that he has um, put out there. So a lot of what I'm saying is coming from, um, coming from him. So the first thing is that um, I think in general, for, it's funny to me that in the bodybuilding community, you wouldn't train your glutes heavily because... Bodybuilders want to train like everything super hardcore because they want everything to hypertrophy. Why you wouldn't want to specifically train your glutes, I will never understand that. Um, I think that, I think I read somewhere that one guy was saying you don't want to overtrain your glutes because as a bodybuilder, like as a man, um, because it will like make your quads look small or something. I have no idea. Anyway, but 
in the past, the general idea has been, well, you know what I didn't do? <laughs> I didn't write down what I'm supposed to do, and it's on my phone. Oh, well, I'll make it up as I go. Um, <clears throat> in the past, uh, bodybuilders have typically, um, well, sorry, let me back a little bit. Sometimes with certain muscles, you can get a, um, a like a passive effect where you are training that muscle, or you're not training that muscle, you're training a different group of muscles, but that, that, but that muscle actually receives some kind of benefit from it. Um, you can see that sometimes with the calves. So like if you're doing squats, for example, let's see if you can actually see me in this, doing these landmines. Um, by the way, I wouldn't normally be training legs today, but I can't talk about glute training and not train legs. <laughs> That's what I'm attempting to do here. I'm just changing things up. Um, so you could, like, for example, train squats, and your calves would actually see a small effect, I think. Um, and that's only because uh, you're eccentrically working the calves. So whenever you go to squat, you're actually contracting the calves. And because it crosses the ankle joint, as you squat down, you're actually getting an eccentric contraction on the calves. So you could probably see a little bit of calf development from that. Is that going to be significant enough to give you big calves? Probably not, and particularly not if you're a hard gainer like me, or if you just have crappy calf genetics like that. Um, so um, you would need more direct training, and for some reason, for a long time, people have approached um, training the glutes like that, like it's a passive thing, or like, oh, well my glutes will get trained when I do like squats and deadlifts and stuff, so why would I need to add in additional training? Like it's just so it's just so weird to me. Um, I mean, you you'll see people trying to like, literally train their TFL. Your tensor fasciae latae runs like right in here. You will see people actually trying to train that teeny tiny muscle, and your glutes comprise the most volume of muscle in your entire body, like compared to any other set of muscles in your body. Go ahead and train that directly. Anyway, okay. So a couple things to note about the glutes. Um, a lot of muscles cross um, two joints. Um, for example. The, um, the biceps cross the elbow and the shoulder, so they help with shoulder flexion and they help with elbow flexion. The hamstrings cross the knee and the hip, so they help with um, knee flexion and hip extension. The calves, like we were talking about, um, crosses the ankle joint and the knee joint, so they help with um, plantar flexion and they also help with knee flexion. So um, the way that those muscles Cross those joints is different depending on the muscle. So you'll actually see that there's different types of levers. Um, part of that has to do with like the structure of the actual joint, but also um, the direction of the pinnation of the muscle. So the muscle might be uh, like a biceps tendon, or I mean, sorry, your biceps muscle. Your all your muscle, your muscles fibers run pretty much straight. Um, your deltoid has like some pinnation, so your muscle fibers are actually at angles. So that actually changes what the um, muscle is going to be doing. So for example, and it also is affected by the joint. Uh, let's see here. So for example, the, the biceps muscle is straight. So it pretty much just does flexion. It doesn't actually, as far as I know, it doesn't contribute to any rotation. Even though you can rotate your forearm and you can rotate your shoulder, the biceps muscle doesn't doesn't contribute to that, but the deltoid is is pinnated at angles, so it can in your in your um, glenohumeral joint, your shoulder joint is a ball and socket, so it can do all kinds of stuff. Your 
deltoid can contribute to a little bit of rotation in addition to your to your um, rotator cuff muscles but it can actually do all kinds of different angles and different movements because it's pinnated like that it helps with like lateral flexion you can do forward flexion and extension and all that stuff all the pressing so because of the nature of the muscle that's the reason why it has so many functions so the glutes are like that too um with i'm like not really sure what i'm doing here hold on see i have all my stuff on my phone and then i didn't get it and now i'm all live so now i can't turn my phone off and get the workout so i'm having to go off of memory here <laughs> um so with your glutes they are pretty similar now the glutes are comprised of a bunch of muscles also you've got your glute gluteus maximus which is a bigger part of your glutes you have minimus which is like deeper in there i think glute medius is like up on the top portion um, and then you have like other external and internal rotators and mostly external rotators um, inside a hip so your glutes are interesting because as a whole they actually have three main functions they do um, hip extension they do um, hip abduction and then they also do um, hip external rotation where you actually rotate out so because of that you actually have to train your glutes accordingly so um, you have to train all of those different um, directions of movement uh, and that's some of the things that Dr. Contreras says so um, for example I'm squatting now I'm gonna count so that I don't like lose track of what I'm doing here since I already don't know what I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing a landmine squat to try to keep more upright because I have an issue with my sciatic nerve and I'm trying not to irritate it and my theory is that this will help. Okay, I don't know how many that was. We'll say 10. Um, so let's see, squatting and deadlifting and hip thrusting are all hip extension style movements. They, they work in hip flexion and extension, so they're more like a linear type pattern. Um, things like, um, uh, like lying leg lifts, like where you're laying on your side and you lift your leg up, um, any kind of like lateral band walks. Um, if you're doing uh, even a side plank, it's like an isometric version of abduction. Um, sideline hip raises. Oh gosh. Okay. Sideline hip raises are these where you lift your hip and your top leg and those super suck. Um, those are all different versions of hip abduction. And then the last one is hip external rotation. So um, you usually do that one with bands. It could be like a um, like you're sitting and doing abduction with bands. Uh, you could be laying on your back and doing that. Any kind of like, it looks like abduction, but you're actually externally rotating. Um, all of those are helpful too. So you should train all three to hit the glutes um, well. This, this might go a lot faster than I thought. Um, let's see here. So let's start with the basics. So if I'm designing someone's program, I use in general anyway, even if they don't work during your glutes because I think that it's necessary. Um, in general, you would select at least one exercise from all three of those quadrants. And that's only if you're doing like a full body program. Um, you would select three from quadrants. You see how I said that? Three from each of those categories. Um, you would select a vertical component, so like some, um, some kind of, um, oh gosh, hold on a minute. Sagittal plane. You would select a, a sagittal plane movement, so you're either a squat, a deadlift, or a hip thrust. You would select a frontal plane movement, so some kind of abduction thing, and you would select a transverse plane movement, which would be one of your rotational things. That way you would hit all three sections of the glutes um, and all three movement patterns of the glutes. Um, 
Now, here's the thing about it though. Your frontal plane is obviously gonna be the one where you're working the glutes the most. Um, so, like, um, getting the most EMG activity, getting the most um, uh, muscle contraction, getting the biggest movement, um, causing the biggest movement in the body, that's gonna be where you get the most of that. So, those are gonna be the biggest ones. Um, the thing about, uh, I was talking about pinnation earlier. So your glutes actually run from in and they kind of teardrop out to the side, kind of, or like, you know, this thing. So because they're kind of at an angle, they do, that's why they have this like hip flexion, but also like a slight abduction. You're, the most ideal um, range of motion for your leg whenever you're extending is actually not straight back. And plus you have hip flexors that get in the way. It's not actually straight back. It's actually more like a 45 degree angle. So that's partially because of the, the structure of the, or the, the angle of the muscle thingies. Um, okay, so let's say for example, um, uh, actually let's break down some of the movements. So since I'm squatting, let's talk about squats. Um, so I know that the common idea is that, hold on, I'm counting. The common idea is that squats will build your glutes more than anything else. And you see it everywhere, you see it on Pinterest. Here are all these squat exercises to build your glutes. Um, not exactly. So, uh, for example, some power lifters do have really good behinds. Power lifters are the ones that are lifting really heavy stuff. Some of them don't have as big of butts as people who train them directly. And that's because squats are actually a little bit more quad dominant. Um, whenever you are squatting down and then kind of when you're coming back up, you're getting a lot more eccentric work on the quads. Now you are getting some work on the, on the um, glutes too. So part of the theory with a lot of the glute training is that if it activates the muscle more, then it's going to eventually lead to hypertrophy. There's three main components that are thought to be part of hypertrophy. One is um, muscle damage. Another one is um, time under tension. And the last one is um, uh, metabolic damage, but that one's being shown to not really be as prevalent. So how much time and how much volume or how much load you're putting on your body, and then also um, how much muscle damage you're causing in the process or what leads to hypertrophy. So with squatting, you have one of those components. You can squat down and you get that eccentric load where you're actually stretching out through the glutes, but then when you stand back up, by the time you're standing, um, there's actually no load on the glutes. So you're not getting any kind of um, EMG activity or you wouldn't be getting any, you wouldn't be getting any kind of EMG activity. You wouldn't be getting any kind of major contraction on the concentric portion, the portion where the glutes are actually, would be in their most, in their most tightened position. So this is stretched out. This is where you're standing up. The standing up position where you would want the most contraction, you're not getting that because your skeleton is actually holding the weight up. So that's an issue there with why you might not see as much glute uh, growth from doing squats. Um, but eccentrics are a huge contributor to hypertrophy. So that one's a little bit kind of up in the air. Um, so the thought is that you use squats as part of a well-rounded glute training program um, because they will add more muscle damage and you're gonna want that in the long term um, in order to be able to build your glutes. You need all, all of these different components. Okay, so that's the, there's that one. Um, uh, by the way, the approach that Dr. Contreras takes is a shotgun approach where you're taking like, um, 
you're, you're trying to hit as many different facets of glute training as possible until we have more research to, to back it up because there's really not a lot of research on glute training. Um, so see the next one, let's, let's talk about uh, a deadlift. So obviously there's different types of deadlifts, but the general idea is the same. You're doing a hinge. Um, now with deadlifting, the glutes are like right in the middle of the movement because your hips are going back, your glutes are attached to your back and your leg. So you would think that you would get some kind of work there. Um, there have been some research studies on that. I, I think there's been more than just EMG research, but EMG, by the way, is electromyography, electromyography. And it, all it does is you just like hook up some electrodes to your muscle and they tell you whether or not the muscle is activating or at what capacity they're activating. Um, so you can do it for lots of different types of movements. And a lot of the studies on the glutes have been EMG, but there's not as much, it's not clear um, how true that is to like ultimately leading to hypertrophy. We only have anecdotal evidence of that. So um, with deadlifts and hinge type movements, um, this one is kind of tricky because the angle of your load is what matters. So this is one of the coolest things I had ever seen in my life. I, so I read this, I read this article back in uh, like 2014 and they were comparing um, the good morning to the 90 degree, oh, sorry, the good morning to the 45 degree hyperextension and the 90 degree hyperextension. So um, good morning is when you're standing, hips go back, you stand up, right? 45 degree hyper is when you're here, you go down, come back up. Same movement, right? Different angle. 90 degrees is where your legs are up here, you go down and come back up. So if I remember the way that these curves, they drew these curves correctly, with the good morning, you had almost no glute activity. With the 90 degree hyper, I think you had the most like erector spinae and then a little bit of glute and hamstring activity. Um, but with the 45 degree hyper, you had massive glute activity and part of it was because of the, the direction of the load. And if you, obviously you can make a little adjustments to the 45 degree hyper to take out the hamstrings even more and to make it focus more on the glutes uh, and, and the erectors out, you'd have to like, whatever, I'm not gonna get into that. Um, but the angle of that hinge is actually what mattered, which is really cool. So um, if you take that and apply it to deadlifts, or if you were to even try to, or if you even like looked at research with deadlifts, um, there's not gonna be as much glute activity usually with deadlifts. I was reading um, an article review the other day and they were actually talking about the hamstrings, which I thought was interesting, it's kind of a side note. They were saying that the hamstrings don't actually um, get necessarily a lot more activation in the deadlift than they would in the squat. I don't know how that's true, but that's what the research was saying. Um, so with your glutes in a, in a deadlift, generally you are going to have a little more work on the hamstrings. We're going to stick with what is previously said, cause I'm not sure about that study. Um, you do get that eccentric movement again, but once again, on the concentric, whenever you're standing up, your glutes are in a more relaxed position. So, uh, generally you don't want this like squeeze and tuck forward thing that some people will add because it's actually, it's really not safe for your hips or your back. So don't do that. Um, you just want to come up to a neutral position. You can squeeze at the top and not have that forward movement of the hips. So you, you can, you can not hyperextend. You can come to here and squeeze, but even with that conscious squeezing, like that's going to help a little bit. Any kind of conscious squeezing is going to help, 
but it may not necessarily lead to greater glute growth. Um, gosh, I just realized that I'm also doing an audio version of this and you can't actually see what I'm doing. <laughs> so on the audio only version, um, if you're doing a deadlift and you try to like hyperextend your hips by pressing them forward, um, that's not going to be good for the back. Instead, you could come to a neutral position, you could squeeze your glutes, but um, it might not necessarily lead to more glute growth. So the way that you make up for that, so that's two exercises that are good for eccentric load, but not necessarily for um, concentric work. So the way that you remedy that is you do the hip thrusts. So the hip thrust exercise and bridging variations um, have super high glute activity um, as far as like EMG research goes. Um, whenever you lift your hips up off of the ground and you push up, first of all, your knees are bent. So you're taking your hamstrings primarily out of it because if the knees are, are bent, then the hamstring is already kind of pulled up in the direction of the knee because it's being used to, to flex the knee. So then it's not gonna be used as much for hip extension, just so you know. If you're, if you're utilizing a muscle on one end of its, um, on one end of the body, or, or sorry, like if a muscle crosses two joints and you're using it more on one joint, it's harder for it to work on the second joint. That's why sometimes you get uh, cramps. <laughs> Um, so if a hamstring is already used at the knee, then you're able to use just the glutes in order to do hip extension. Plus, if you do it correctly, we are actually tucking your hips under as you lift. So you're actually getting that posterior pelvic tilt. Posterior pelvic tilt is where, uh, the top opening of your pelvis actually tilts rearward. So you get like that sad dog tail tuck thing. Um, then you're going to have more glute activity. So that's why, um, hip thrusts do a lot for that. Um, so far... There doesn't appear to be any indicators that hip thrusts are inherently damaging. Um, I would say that you could do them incorrectly and possibly damage yourself. Um, but as far as we know, there's nothing that's really a limiting factor with them just because of the angle of um, the angle of force. So it is a sheer force on the hips. Um, but if you angle the body correctly, and then you also have your back supported, that's your lower shoulder blades, um, I don't know that there's any real, dam real damage that can happen to the spine, especially since you're going to be braced. So um, that's why people load them the heck up. So people will take really, really heavy weight and put it on the hip thrust. And they can do a lot of weight because it's a limited range of motion. Again, I Gatorade with my creatine, my steroids. Um, you can really load up hip thrusts and do a lot of them just because there doesn't appear to be any major issues when they're done correctly. Unless for some reason you have some kind of hip issue that's pre-existing. Um, okay, so that's the linear stuff. So uh, next would be your abduction movements. So um, the linear movements are gonna be hitting primarily the glute maximus. Um, your glute max is gonna be working on all types of movements. It's just that they work more on your linear, like forward and backwards, or up and down type movements, axial type movements. Um, on your abduction, they work a little bit, but you're gonna get more like glute medius and other muscles like I can't remember the names of right now. So that's why you would start adding in things like, um, like, your, like your leg lifts. So the thing with um, their glute max, if I remember this correctly, there's a pretty good mixture of type one and type two muscle fibers. All right, so type, um, type, one muscle fibers are your um, like endurance type muscle fibers. Those are the ones they, they move more slowly. Um, they don't need energy replenished as readily. There's a lizard in here. Um, so they, in order to work them um, 
maybe best, you could do like uh, higher rep ranges. Um, with your type two muscle fibers, you are getting more explosive type power. They're, um, they have, they use more of the ATP, CP um, energy system, which that's um, basically energy readily available, fewer than 10 seconds, big strong lifts, like your really heavy lifts, even if they take longer than 10 seconds, <laughs> um, that's gonna be the ATP system. So your type two muscle fibers are gonna be what's called your fast twitch muscle fibers, even if it's not technically fast. Any type of heavy load on the body or really intense burst, your type two muscle fibers are doing that. So your, your glute max has a mixture of both of those. Interesting fact is that whenever you're using your type two muscle fibers, you work as like, not dimmer switches, but you work on like a, uh, I don't know what this would be considered. You would be engaging your type one muscle fibers first and then you engage your type two. So whenever you're doing big heavy lifts, you're actually using both types of muscle fibers. You're not just sticking with just one type of muscle fiber. Um, so, but, but still, it is recommended that in order to better work both different types, you have your intense, um, heavy loaded, lower rep range exercises, but then you also incorporate some lighter load, heavier, I'm sorry, lighter load, higher repetition exercises. BT dubs, more and more research is coming out showing that this like optimal range for hypertrophy, that NSEA, NASM, AS, whatever, AS, American ACSM, American College, uh, yeah, ACSM, um, and all these other certifying bodies, this optimal rep range of like 8 to 12 or 10 to 15 or whatever for hypertrophy, it's not really, not really, no, uh, because all rep ranges can lead to hypertrophy. Um, does it mean that it's affecting different types of muscle fibers? I don't really know, but all, every every rep range can contribute to hypertrophy, so you should hit all rep ranges. Um, so anyway, that's glute max. I know I'm jumping all over the place. Let me do a set here before I like lose track of what I'm doing. So glute medius, I believe, is. Does anybody know what number that was? We'll say that this is seven. Eight. Okay, I'm starting to feel a little full in my sciatic nerve here. Nine. Ten. I'm trying to be better about limiting my range of motion when I feel too much of a pull there. I could be yucky tomorrow. Um, so your glute medius and your abductors are going to be a little bit more um, type 1 muscle fibers. So you're going to get more into your higher rep ranges. Um, and they end up being more like burnout type movements, you're probably not going to do as much heavy lifting laterally, which I've never seen someone do obnoxiously heavy lifting laterally. You can load it. You can do super heavy bands doing your hip abduction. Um, some people will do like hip hikes where you're holding on to something, you're standing up, you've got a plate weight on one leg and your knee is bent, and you're hiking that leg up super high where you're like holding a kettlebell on there. Or some people will do like, um, the hip abduction machine, which is a little bit more external rotation, but you can you can load it up super heavy. It's just that your ability is going to be in the higher rep ranges, so you can load your higher rep ranges. BT does. So um, yeah, abduction is going to be that way, and then your hip external rotation is going to be a lot more of your seated and knees going out to the side. Um, let's see. Uh, so I'll just throw out some cool facts about um, 
glutes because that's kind of the main stuff when it comes to glute training. Um, basically, just like trying to get a well-rounded approach, trying to hit three different types of movement patterns, um, and then you know cycle things out. Um, oh, lunges also count for um, for uh, glute uh, for your axial loading for your like vertical plane stuff. So, um, also how you do those exercises makes a big difference as well. Like I was talking about with glute, uh, with a, um, glute hip press, um, you can tuck your hips under at the top and feel a completely different, uh, feeling than if you were keeping your back arched. I'm going to actually show that real quick. So if you're not watching the video version of this, you're not going to see it, but I'm going to show it anyway. Um, so if you're doing a glute bridge or a hip thrust and you hip thrust and your back is arched like that, you're probably not going to feel that as much in <coughs> that. You're going to cough your brains up. I'm not going to feel that as much in your glutes. That was not a good position. <coughs> Sorry. Just had my head back and started coughing. Um, <laughs> I felt that more of my hamstrings. Instead, you would actually keep your body more forward. And the best way to get into more glute activity with any exercise is always going to be a bit more of a flexed spine. With your hips tucking under so this actually applies to hyper extensions also so if you're doing your hyper extensions this is kind of what your spine and your hips are going to look like head forward sternum down hips come up and they tuck under let's turn into an instructional video you guys owe me money <laughs> um so so this type of like rounded hips going under that's kind of what you're looking for and you would see that same type of thing with like a 45 degree hyper is your head's tucked under hips are kind of tucked under too and your back is slightly rounded. That way you're getting more hip extension and you're not relying on your spine. Um, so how you do an exercise matters. Same thing with like a, so back to lunges. Um, I think some folks say that if your body is more upright with lunges, then you'll feel them more like in the legs. But if your body is more forward with lunges, you'll feel on the glutes of the front hip. I am saying that from other people's experience, not my own, because I have not felt that, but supposedly that's the case. Um, let's see. So other cool things about the glutes. So because they contribute to, to so many different types of movement, <clears throat> um, they're used in almost every type of activity. So I have worked with um, um, like elementary and middle school, high school and college level and um, uh, like recreational athletes. And with every single athlete, we always, always, always try to train their glutes. So let's talk about a couple different types of sports. Um, running. So with running, when you run, when you take off from the blocks or when you're running down the track, you are using your glutes. You're using them, especially at full extension. You're also using them on that swing through uh, path. So whenever your your foot comes forward and you strike and you swing that leg through, obviously you're using hip extension. That is why Olympic track athletes have big old booties. <laughs> they may train them, but they're also using them, uh, especially like sprinters. Uh, sprinters is what I'm referring to. I mean, long distance runners are people too. They're athletes too, but I'm thinking about sprinters. Um, sprinters are going to have big old butts because they're working them intensely. Now, granted, some of them also have really awesome genetics, but that's beside the point. 
So sprinters, okay? They're gonna be using theirs in that motion. Um, if there's some kind of a jumper, like a high jumper or whatever, they may see some engagement. Um, some of the stuff that I've seen from jumping, you don't usually get quite as much glute activity um, because once again, you're coming from a squatted position and going up into a vertical position. So you would get like your eccentric work at the bottom of the squat. And then as you come up, you might get some explosive concentric work from the glutes, but you're gonna get it mostly from the quads and the hamstrings, particularly the quads. So jumping, not quite as much. Um, football players or soccer players, or for my UK people, football players, <laughs> soccer, soccer. Um, <clears throat> so those folks are gonna have a lot more versatility in how they're using their glutes too. So they get the running part, um, with the hip extension, they get the um, the more vertical stuff with jumping, but then they're also going to get a lot more of the abduction and external rotation type stuff. So um, if you are cutting from one side to the other, like if you're going to be moving laterally, um, that's abduction all day long. So you're going to be pushing off and moving your body to the side, which is why it is still good to try to load that position. So rather than just doing slow movements, if you're an athlete, you actually want to try to load that up, get into um, lower rep ranges and higher weights because that transfers over in some cases to power production as long as you're moving quickly whenever you're doing your training. So if you're working on like quick movements laterally, um, you want to try to train that too. So example, so we're talking closed chain now versus open chain. So open chain training is like Da, 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 see my leg. Closed chain is my feet are on the floor, um, and that's what your athletes are gonna generally be doing. So you could train that, you could put a band on, and practice moving quickly side to side, wearing a band. Um, so that's gonna have your biggest crossover for like a, like a lateral moving athlete, um, basketball players, obviously. Next big one is rotating. So if you're, if you're cutting and turning, that's another big part, um, you know, rotating through the hips up, Big one though, uh, particularly, is baseball athletes and different types of throwing athletes. So your glutes contribute very heavily to your ability, I think I just hit my mic, sorry. Your glutes contribute very heavily to your ability to turn and throw um, because of the way that they're connecting the upper and lower halves of the body. So if you think about a thrower, um, their feet on the ground, they're going to be back kind of in a like a split stance position. They're going to usually take a little bit of a step forward. They're going to start to rotate their hips first. Usually you're going to get that X shape with the upper and lower halves of the body. They start to rotate their hips first. Their hand comes after and they throw the ball. That rotating pattern they get out of the hips is very heavily dependent on the strength of the glutes and the ability of the glutes to contract and rotate the body. Um, for my karate people who watch this, same thing, rotating in place, your front stance doing reverse punches, no excuse to not be training your glutes because they help to stabilize your body, they help to do rotational stuff. Um, okay, everyday application now that we're gonna get past athletes because it just made me think of this. So, uh, still losing track of what I'm doing here, guys, because I didn't write down what I was supposed to do today. So I'm doing whips, wimpy stuff. Um, so if you are just an everyday person, and you're like, okay, well, I don't really give two craps about getting big butt, a big butt, so why would I need to train my glutes? Um, one reason 
is uh, actually for overall health and function. So let's say, um, I'm not a doctor, I'm not going to diagnose you, but let's say, for example, people with back trouble, um, what I have noticed anecdotally with my clients is that um, if, if you train your glutes more, because they work <clears throat> with hip extension, which also helps to support the spine, um, then you will see a big difference because if the glutes are more active, then you spend a lot more time with these glutes in like this just barely activated position because they're helping to hold the body upright versus people who don't have as much um, glute control, you'll sometimes see a little bit more slouching or they may be like, have like just micro changes in their spine where if they like had a herniated disc or whatever, you can go back to the um, pain podcast I did last week or yeah, last week, um, they might feel that uh, they have more pain in the previous position versus if they start training their glutes, their posture will a lot of times improve. And you'll notice that too. Uh, now granted, sometimes you'll see women with big, big glutes and they want this. <laughs> but in general, um, if you have healthy glutes and you understand like body positioning, you'll actually get a pretty neutral pelvis um, or you'll get a position that's neutral for your body, which might be more anteriorly tilted, but that's, that's actually okay. Um, whatever position is comfortable for you. Generally, training your glutes is gonna make you feel a lot better when it comes to your back. Um, if you have hip pain, sometimes you'll feel better there. Um, another thing is with walking. So I don't think people realize, like obviously with running, your glutes have a big you make a big difference. With walking, they do too. Um, and it's not actually just because of hip extension. So when you're walking, yeah, obviously you're, you're extending your hips slightly, um, but your entire gait is affected. Hold on, I'm jumping. I'm trying to not make this entire workout go to waste because I can't stop talking here. I don't know if this is a good idea. I just like don't really work out. I just talk the whole time. Hold on. <laughs> and I also forget to write down what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm almost there. Notice I'm only doing two sets of everything. I'm gonna have to keep my volume of training a little bit lower right now until I make sure my recovery is under control. So don't judge me. Um, so with walking, your entire gait is controlled by your um, by your glute strength. So um, there's a slight rotation of your hips whenever you walk. Um, that's part of it. Um, that goes up into the deeper abdominal muscles and stuff too. But in the trunk supporters. Um, but also what's going on with your knees and your feet. So when you walk, your glutes work on stabilizing the femur, which translates to the knee. So whenever you walk forward, this happens a lot with women, sometimes women will go this way, where their knee will actually fall in. If you're a karate athlete, you see this a lot of times when people start to move forward in a stance. So your, their knee will actually fall in. That is a good indicator that either they are not conscious of it or their glutes are not firing in order to keep that knee stable. It's going to be your abductors and external rotators. So you will sometimes find that if you train those more, it's easier to keep that knee in place. Now granted, it could take some actual work on walking, but that's another big benefit. Um, if your knee starts to fall in or if you don't have as much control of the hip, sometimes you can go all the way down to the feet. So people who see issues with their feet where they're flat-footed or they overpronate where their foot kind of falls flat um, or they have like ankle issues or they roll their ankle all the time sometimes I mean it is a foot issue you got to start with that 
but sometimes you can work all the way up toward the hip because you have this rotational thing happening at the hip. Dr. Emily Splickle is like amazing with this stuff. I saw her at an NSDA conference and she talks about like this rotational type of stuff going on with the body. It's not fascia, it's just what the body, it's just like the muscles attached to each segment of the body. So don't get your hopes up about that fascia stuff. Um, if your foot is falling downward, it could be that number one, you don't have control of the ankle, but a big part of it could be control at the hip. So it can be a big part, uh, your glutes can be a big part of this everyday and daily walking, um, doing different activities, lifting things up, overall controlling your posture. So that turned into a little bit of a rabbit trail. Um, but basics of glute training, pick one of three different, um, not one of three, pick one exercise for each of the different categories for hip extension, for hip abduction, hip external rotation, train all of them and well, train especially your hip extension in different rep ranges. Your abduction and external rotation are usually going to be higher rep ranges and you want to actually um, rotate those exercises out. So like if ideally you would have like a hip thrust day, a squat day, or a, and a deadlift day, or you could do all of them on the same day, which is like what I just did right now. Um, and then adding in your other things too. Um, make sure you're monitoring your recovery so that your butt doesn't hurt all the time. Um, the, my very first uh, exposure to glute training was a, a glute program that lasted four days. It was full body, but it was like heavy glute stuff, like four days a week, ultra high damaging type stuff. And my butt was sore for four months, like nonstop. It was awful. So I don't recommend constantly training and constantly being sore. You should give yourself a break. It is it sucks, um, but then uh, also just kind of remember that it's important to train your booty. It's not just because we like to see big butts. It's because it's good for you. Um, so, <laughs> like I said, big rabbit trail. Um, let's see if there's any questions. No. Okay. Oops. Well, anywho, um, thank you guys for sticking around, a.k.a. Hey, Charlotte. Um, and if you have any requests for, uh, what I talk about and babble on about next time, you're welcome to send me a message and, uh, maybe I will be a little bit more organized at some point in the future. Okay. You guys are doing great. Bye.